Welcome to Social Distance Assistance. I'm Kelly. And I'm June. On today's show, we're talking about grief and all the losses COVID has brought us. But don't worry, it's not all sad. One of the best ways people have been helping one another during the pandemic is just to lend an ear and listen to someone else talk about what they've lost. And sometimes it can be really beautiful. Like in this story, we're going to tell you about a huge virtual wake for a famous musician. And sometimes it can be really funny. Like this other story you'll hear today about a family who held a funeral over Zoom full of awkward, abnormal, but touching moments. And later, we'll hear from the world's most optimistic grief counselor, who recommends writing letters to the coronavirus about how it makes you feel. And to pepper it with swears if you want to. Stay with us. June, you know that song that's like, If dreams were lightning. Thunder were desire. This This old house would have burnt down a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. That's Angel from Montgomery, written by John Prine, this hugely influential singer-songwriter. Prine actually survived cancer twice, and then was on tour for his latest album, The Tree of Forgiveness, when he got sick with coronavirus. So the night that it was announced that he was in ICU, National NPR wanted us to do something about that. That's Jason Moon Wilkins, a host at WPLN News in Nashville, the NPR member station there. And I went to grab audio, you know, because it's pretty much an unstated but demanded rule. If you're doing something about music, you always play a piece of music in it. And I played Summer's In and I just started crying. (laughs) And I was like, okay, probably that's the one to use then, you know, because it's, it's, I mean, it's so like hopeful and beautiful and mournful and everything all at once. Sweet songs never last too long on broken radios. Mm-hmm. On April 7th, 2020, Prine passed away. His death devastated the music community, especially in Nashville, where he lived. Normally, there would be huge memorial services to honor him, with musicians flying in across the world to pay respects. WPLN knew they wanted to celebrate his life somehow. But obviously, those big in-person memorials weren't going to happen. So when he died, to not have the ability to have something public just seemed like this huge void. And I know it's that way for anyone who's experiencing loss right now, not to have that public mourning, that way of getting together. And so... In the shower, all of a sudden, the idea came to me, Radio Wake. Literally, just the two words popped in my head. And um, I'm like, okay, what would that look like? And how would that work? He's the kind of guy who deserved a big community funeral. The, The kind with laughing and crying, telling stories and singing songs. We can't really do that right now. But maybe we can still do something together. Terrible mistake. Sitting on the front steps, drinking orange crush. I'm Jason Moon Wilkins. Welcome to The Radio Wake for John Prine. 
our chance for friends and fans to come together and pay respects to one of the best. It, it started very slowly. We put the information out there. Hey, if you've got a memory and you want to record a voicemail and send it to us, that would be great. Well, it's been years since the kids have grown. Hi, this is Marcus Hammond, and um, I got to know the Prines really through our son Kenny's friendship with Tommy in middle school. And so it was just so wild in a way to just go over to their house and hang out and have hamburgers by the pool. I'm like, that's John Prine. Sometimes people say, you better hope you don't meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. But John was uh, just as loving and as generous as his songs, as his beautiful lyrics. We had dozens of, of fans. We had at least 20 some odd uh, experts and musicians all, all either do interviews or send in their audio. Radio-wise, we were fine. It was the streaming that was unprepared for the deluge. The streaming is, you know, it was messed up for the first five or 10 minutes or whatever it was. And uh, so we got these notes back from people who went, sat in their cars and never got out. And uh, I, I love that image. Would we have come upon this concept have it not been for the pandemic? I think this was very much a response to a moment in time as well as to an artist deserving of that attention. I think people would have done what they did, uh, which is eulogize him and, and praise him for his unique talents. But our response might not have been the same. I've got a guitar here and I'm going to hum a melody. I'm not going to try to sing the lyrics because everybody knows how great the lyrics are. Da 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 What I'm going to miss most about John is uh, being in his house and sitting at his table seeing those big letters on those on those pieces of paper with a felt tip letters like an inch and a half high I'm still amazed that I got to write songs with John. It felt very hard to capture all of him, and we didn't, and we can't. That's impossible. But it was part of the impetus for doing this which was a one-minute story, a two-minute story, a five-minute feature, was still not enough to really get at what he meant musically, civically, all of it. So creating this hour and allowing all these other voices to do the work. And that was really the goal. I miss his legendary hugs, so warm and full of love. But mostly, I miss just knowing that he was here with the rest of us, showing us the way through these strange times. John, I miss you already. Love to you and to your family. I hold you in my heart. Bye now. Rest in peace, John. Our hearts go out to Fiona and the boys. 
I hope you can take some comfort in knowing that your dad is truly a legend and his music will live forever. He gave us the playbook for dealing with this loss and the words to his songs. We just have to sit back and listen. Thank you, John. We love John. Thankful for his music. Love y'all. He was a dear, dear man and a brilliant man. And uh, we loved him. Best wishes to Fiona and the kids. We love you. I'm so glad to have shared this earth with him. Cheers, John. All the love. You can hear the entire wake at WPLN.org. When a beloved figure like John Prine passes away, it tends to bring strangers together to find common ground with people they otherwise would never have known. And lots of people find comfort in collective grief. But when a beloved family member passes away, grief is more intimate, and the desire to work through it together, in person, feels urgent. During the pandemic, we're forced to come up with some creative solutions to process personal loss. But sometimes they don't feel quite right. In California, Gabrielle Burbay's family faced some tough decisions about how to say goodbye to her grandmother. When she died from cancer, just three weeks into quarantine, her relatives held a funeral for her over Zoom. It wasn't a perfect send-off, but the experience definitely captured that balance of sorrow and absurdity of the moment that we're living in. Here's Gabrielle. Last week, my uncle sent me this file of an old digitized tape. It was from my great-grandmother's birthday party in the 90s. The tape opens with my great-grandmother and her ten daughters. They're lined up in a hotel hallway, posing for a picture. They're all wearing white Filipiniana dresses. It's the Philippine national dress. It's floor-length, tightly fitted around the waist, and with these signature large shoulder pads embroidered with beads. The whole scene is pretty chaotic. Children are running in and out of the frame. None of the daughters are smiling at the same time. But the camera keeps zooming in on the daughter standing next to my great-grandmother. Like, whoever is recording knows she's about to take charge or is waiting for her to. That daughter, my Lola, or grandmother in Tagalog, she then points the photographers where to stand. Her sisters turn to her, and my Lola smiles at the camera. And then her sisters follow. Ready? One, two, three, one more. Fast forward in the tape after the toasts and dinner. The daughters have changed out of their dresses and into pants and blouses. Except for my Lola. She's wearing a bright yellow leotard with tights. And she starts leading her sisters in this choreographed dance performance. The sisters are dancing in two lines and my Lola is dancing in between them in the middle facing the audience with this wide, assured smile. They're not at all in sync, and I can't tell if my Lola's solo was even planned or if it was just her spontaneous decision. But it doesn't matter because I can't stop watching her dancing in the center. She just looks so 
confident. She would really brighten the room, and everybody always wants to gather around her. This is my Uncle Chito, and he's one of her four sons. She was just drop-dead gorgeous. She's a head-turner. Zenaida Mendoza, my Lola, she was the matriarch of my very large Filipino family. She was stunning, and she would have loved for her head-turning effect to be her legacy. But that detail, it can feel like the easiest to latch onto when trying to describe her. Especially when it feels impossible to know where to even begin, when we owe everything to her. It was because of her, your mom became a citizen. She was one of the first of her sisters to leave her life and her four children, still really young at the time, in Manila to come to California. And she was determined to bring everyone else. She spent a decade alone here, sponsoring visas, one by one for her sisters and one by one for her children. All of them. It was because of mom's determination that all of us are here. When she first moved to the United States, she was working in a casino. There were even times when she would go to a casino bathroom and get toilet papers because she didn't have money to buy toilet papers. That's how determined this woman is. We have her to thank every single one of us for having a better chance on life. And because of her, I grew up in a house in the Bay Area, always filled with relatives, with these huge family parties all the time. There's almost a hundred of us here in California, and many of us know that we're here because of her. She lived a very colorful life. She deserved a very colorful funeral or celebration of life. She passed away three weeks into California's shutdown from stage four lung cancer. This time last year, doctors had given her one year to live. So we had one year to plan for her funeral. Oh, I would imagine it to be a grand one. As grand as her personality. That's how she is. That's how she lived life. I was expecting something big, something well-attended. I was expecting something quite bombastic, if that's even the right word for it. Instead, we held her funeral over Zoom on my aunt's unlimited work account. Oh my God, she's having problems. It says I'm connected, but I'm muted. My mom did her best. She set up a small altar in the living room with crosses, rosaries, and flowers. Hello there. There he is. Can I get confirmation? Father Chas, you have to unmute yourself. What? He's, he's unmuted. I thought I did. He's, he, he we knew this wasn't how it was supposed to be. My mom frantically answering texts from family members who couldn't get into the meeting. One of my uncles, who was also the priest officiating the funeral, fumbling to get his phone audio to work. The attendance was reflected only by a small number rising at the bottom of the screen instead of a church filled with family. We are going to celebrate uh, a memorial mass. Mom's remains are not here with me. Uh, It's like a funeral mass without the remains. My Uncle Cheeto watched his mother's funeral from his apartment in San Francisco, alone. I just felt like, oh my God, she does not deserve this. It's, It's almost like, that's it? That's it. It's done. I said, what can I do to motivate myself to keep on going? Because this is just so depressing. 
I got depressed. Got so depressed. I wondered who this ceremony was for. Was it for her? For us? Maybe I would have felt incomplete even if we did give her the funeral she deserved. Maybe this was just death without all of the performance to distract from really feeling loss. But I don't know. The family organized another video call in place of a memorial service. Hi, Kuya Adam. <laughs> and for a moment, it sounded like how our family gatherings felt. Uh, he's got a uh, date. Nico has a date? Nico, really? Are you serious? He's on a date? Eventually, one of my aunts did tell the group she was afraid we'd have to say goodbye this way, over Zoom, many more times for my Lola's sisters that are still alive. The five stages of grief don't really apply in a pandemic. At least, they don't feel like they do. It feels like we can't even start grieving, or that we're not allowed to. I did ask my uncle if he's found a way to start grieving. And I was surprised to know that he has. It's good and bad. So the good thing is it forced me to reflect more alone because I had no other choice but to do that. The bad thing is there will be times I just want to be with somebody and hug that person that I love until our bones break from the hugging. I miss that part. I think I have been praying to mom a lot to give me signs or communicate with me that mom, I would really love you for you to be my dreams. Talk to me in my dream. Matriarchs are not meant to be honored over Zoom. They deserve funerals with dancing and flowers. Watching my relatives on the laptop, laughing and teasing each other as though we're together, it all feels absurd. And it feels disingenuous to look for any silver lining to death right now. But grief, it plows forward. Even if we're not ready. Even as we try to control how fast it comes, how hard it hits us, or as we try to create the perfect circumstances around it. We're all having to find our own ways to honor my Lola, to honor the people we've lost during this time. I haven't found my way yet, but I'd like to think that there's honor in really knowing that our life here, together, it's because of her. And maybe that's all I can know right now even if it does all feel absurd. We adapt and just hope that it's enough, at least until we can all be together again. Thank you to Gabrielle Burbe, a documentary filmmaker and audio producer from San Francisco, California, for sharing this story, and Evan Dibbs for providing the music.
So far today, we've talked about grief over deaths, the big public kind of grief, and the small family kind. But there's another kind of grief that's impacting everyone, even if they haven't lost a friend or a family member recently. It's a grief about losing the way we used to live our lives before the pandemic. To unpack this kind of grief, we called up a grief counselor. But I, I like to consider myself more of an educator to under, help individuals understand and normalize the process. That's Nancy Shomo. She provides bereavement services for clients who have suffered losses in Harrisonburg, Virginia. There's nothing that can be done to take away pain when we're grieving. And the most important thing a grief counselor can provide is that support. And my expertise is grief solely. I am not a therapist to to go into other areas. So I focus 100% on grief. And uh, I've worked with grieving individuals and families for, gosh, 40 years now. If I was grieving, you know, a loss, and I came to you for help, what would the process of counseling me be like? In, in a quote-unquote normal situation, um, you would call and would schedule an appointment, and I would get a little bit of information, and you know, I'd have you come in, and I would let you know that you're in a safe environment, that what is said here will stay here, and ask if you would have any questions. And then if you, let's say you lost uh, a loved one, lost a parent, and then I would ask you to introduce me to your loved one that I had not had the opportunity to meet that individual. So tell me a little bit about him. This allows an individual to step aside from their pain and focus on the person. They're no longer defining that individual by grief and loss and pain, but now they're introducing me to their loved one and they're telling funny stories and they're sharing. And so it kind of, eliminates the angst that we all have when we're forced to sit down and talk about something that's, that's painful. Now, as we are in the process, you know, I'm listening, but I will explain that grief is normal and that we all grieve. Grief is not a disease and there's no stigma attached. So hopefully we'll build a relationship. How has the pandemic changed the way that you work? During this pandemic, we are now doing our sessions via phone or Zoom, and it's working beautifully. We just began uh, opening up to see individuals in person. However, when you're grieving and you have a mask, I have a mask and I'm, I have to wear the, the, um, the eye protection as well if I'm in the office. And if the client has the mask on, and you're, you're emoting and you're, you're, you're having to take the mask off to wipe your eyes or blow your nose. It's very cumbersome. And so I give them that option and, and encourage them to consider the Zoom because that allows both of us to see our faces, to not be bogged down with having to wear a mask and, and all of that discomfort that it brings. So ha- uh, maybe it's not, but I'm wondering, is grieving different from mourning? Because we have these two words, and to me, they've seemed interchangeable, but maybe they're not. Grief is the normal 
internal response we have to any loss. Mourning is the external expression, kind of like grief gone public. And uh, we grieve based on our culture, our belief system, our gender, our background, past experiences. When I say any loss, when we hear that word grief, we automatically go to death. I mean, if you hear someone is grieving, your first thought is, oh, I wonder who died. Yeah. Well, this is true, but we also grieve what is called a disenfranchised loss or what I like to to say is a life loss. It's the little day-to-day things with a job loss, loss of a breakup of a relationship, divorce, geographic moves. Um, And with this pandemic, as a society, we are definitely experiencing the death loss, and I'm not minimizing that at all. But for the majority of individuals, the disenfranchised loss is what we're trying to deal with. The loss of jobs, the loss of social connection. And when we're isolated, it it can be devastating. So we're dealing with a lot of day-to-day losses, which accumulate. And after a while, it starts to wear on us. So let me give you an uh, example of a disenfranchised loss. Let's say that you're you're in a marriage and uh, your spouse comes to you and says, I want a divorce. And you still love this person, but you agree, give them a divorce and you have children. So you're forced to interact with them on a regular basis. And because of that, you're witnessing them starting to date again and remarry possibly. It's like you're ripping a Band-Aid off a wound over and over again. So it's harder sometimes to process and work through the disenfranchised loss. And maybe I am uh, callous, and maybe this will actually come back to bite me <laughs> later on. But um, I'm... You know, when, when people didn't get to have their graduations or they missed a, a birthday party or something, you know, if they were like over 18 um, or they can't go get their hair cut or they just can't like live the life that they lived before. I, I'm sort of like, oh, really? We're calling that grief? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of people will probably not acknowledge that. They are feeling grief due to not getting their hair done and not being able to interact. And, and you know, those are small potatoes in comparison to what we're, we're dealing with, and that's understood. But it's you're allowed to use that word because if we don't first and foremost own it, then we're going to keep pushing it down. And we have... I'm going to oversimplify this, but we have an emotional trash can that we carry around and we put things in there every day, big, small, and everything in between. And what often happens is that that can is filled to the brim and you're out for the first time having a nice day and some little minutia, something happens, something that normally would not have been a big deal. And the lid to that can blows and all that toxicity that you've been carrying in there the fact that you've been isolated, that you may have lost your job, that you can't get your hair cut, that you can't go to a restaurant or go to a movie. All these little things that we consider as small potatoes have all accumulated. 
And so all of them come out and usually on the very people we would never want to hurt. Yeah. How, how do I know when I need a grief counselor? If the grieving or the mourning has started to impact your, your life, if you're no longer able to do the things that you normally did, it's a new experience. Grief is not something we talk about. We don't talk about it with our children. We don't talk about it with each other. We try to avoid it. And so you find yourself in this. It's very uncomfortable. Every fiber in your body is screaming, I don't want to do this. And it can be frightening. And a lot of times you get the physical reactions to it. Uh, Lack of focus, lack of concentration. Fatigue is huge. You start to think, oh gosh, maybe there's something wrong with me. And that's when I get phone calls a lot of times. And I always, always strongly encourage my clients to get a thorough physical to make sure they have great communication with their primary care physician. Because a lot of times grief can can mimic underlying health issues. So it's real important that you have that good relationship with your primary care physician. And most people do not need a grief counselor. Most people process loss, grief and loss on their own, in their own way. But it helps if, if you want someone safe to talk with. And it's wonderful to have have a confidant, someone that you can pick up the phone, a friend, a family member, and say, you know, I'm not sure what's going on right now, but I just don't feel right. I feel like my right foot's in my left shoe. Um, I'm, I'm struggling here. What do you think it is? Well, especially with this pandemic, what we're feeling is loss. It is loss. To be able to verbalize that is, is healthy. We all want to portray ourselves as an image of strength and fearlessness, but we need to give ourselves permission to be vulnerable as well and tap into those strengths and courage and support of loved ones. Um, We do need a network of support to get through really tough times. What you said um, about needing to be a pillar of strength or, or getting through things, I have uh, Irish heritage. (laughs) So I like to uh, take all of my emotions and just push them down. Um, that's sort of culturally what we do. So I'm wondering, like, um, to the extent that you can talk about it, how have you seen uh, different people from different cultures express their grief during this pandemic? You know, during this pandemic, every culture has their own way of of grieving. Some are more comfortable talking about it. Others are more stoic. The one thing that's so important is that there really is no right or wrong way to do this. If you're not hurting yourself or someone else, that's the important thing. Uh, Whether or not you're a talker or a stuffer or anything, (laughs) you know, it's not really as important as, as just understanding yourself, owning that trying to apply wisdom from your past experiences. You know, we've all had past losses and that we can apply to where we are today to ask ourselves, you know, how have I managed challenges in the past and changes? Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. So to ask that question of ourselves is so important. And 
how did you cope with them? You know, was it healthy? You know, what should I repeat? What should I change? Um, what am I learning about myself right now? Yeah, it sounds like a lot of the ways that people process grief are actually still available to them even during the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. Which seems backward to me. Like, I would assume, you know, because everything's shut down, those outlets are probably also shut down. But tell me about, you know, how it's very possible for people to continue to process right now. Well, a really wonderful tool to use to help in processing uh, is journaling. Some people like to journal, some not so much. But one of the things that I encourage my clients to consider is journaling in a letter format. So you could write the letter to the person that has died. You could write the letter to the, the virus. If you are struggling with the disenfranchised piece of this and I had a client say, you know, I'm really ticked off at this virus. It's totally ruining my life. <laughs> it sounds a little wackadoodle to say that, but it's real. So write to the virus. Tell the virus everything you would like to say. And I always encourage them, use whatever language you want to use. This is for your eyes only. <laughs> that was my follow-up question. <laughs> no judgment here at all. You're the only one that's going to see this. It's simply an exercise to help you purge what's in that emotional trash can. Another, another good tool to use is to do a gratitude journal. We're surrounded by the negative. We can't turn to the left or right without seeing something negative. But we have to be aware of those little gems along this journey that are dropped. Yes, we're isolated. Yes, we're still you know, dealing with the quarantine and social distancing and all that. We can get out and walk. You can social distance in a neighborhood. I know my neighborhood, we, everybody brought a lawn chair and a glass of wine and we did a, a, a get together, mm -hmm. a happy hour one evening in social distancing just to see each other. There's opportunities there. Yeah, there's things that we can do to propel us into the future. Maybe kicking or screaming, but we can still move into the future. I've been hearing um, about a lot of Zoom funerals for loved ones who've passed away um, during COVID-19 or from COVID-19. Do you think that the way people process grief in later stages, sort of months and years on, will be affected by the fact that that first public grieving wasn't really public, it was digital? This really is a brutal time for families uh, and individuals that are grieving the death of a loved one. And I know a lot of folks have shared with me that they have or will plan a remembrance service or a celebration of life for the fall or down the road. One of the things that um, I encourage my clients to consider is a celebration of life at that one-year anniversary mark. And I, I, I'm guessing that a lot of people will do that because the healing process needs the, the support and love of everyone around us. That, that's, that's how we get through this. And that's what's so hard right now with uh, the pandemic, because in the grieving process, we, we're now experiencing a global loss. And when someone suffers a death, 
or a disenfranchised loss. We depend on others to show support and assist us in the process. Well, because we're all grieving, everyone is, is suffering. Um, it brings a heightened sense of fear and vulnerability, but we're grieving both on the micro and macro level, which is unprecedented. So you might reach out to somebody and say, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, so-and-so died and I really need support. And they said, look at you and go, well, I wish I could help you, but I'm struggling myself. So it's really hard right now to, to gather that support that is the norm, what we're used to. The fact that we can't have the funerals, we can't have, there's that word normal, quote unquote, again, services. Yeah, I think it will, it will impact. I just don't know how. It's still too early. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had any predictions. It depends on the, the family, uh, if they, how they choose to move forward. And like I said, if they can do uh, as the restrictions are lifted, then you can have a, a memorial service or it would be more of a celebration of life, which can be very healing. So hopefully that's what will happen. My expertise is not with children, but I feel like I, I need to address just one teeny little piece of this. Our children will take their cues from the adults, from their parents, from the, the, the primary adult in their life. So it's real important to stay calm, to really listen to what your children are saying, put down the phone, don't be distracted, have a time that you can sit down and really listen to your kids, you know, find out what they already know, maintain routines, have them write to a cousin or a friend across town, mm -hmm. you know, to exercise and talk regularly. I encourage families to have uh, a one night a week where you can get a pizza, make a pizza as a family, sit down and say, so what's, what's going on? You know, what, what concerns do we have? What's going right? What's going wrong? And, and listen to the kids. What makes you feel hopeful right now? Well, I am basically a hope, hopeful person. My glass is usually full. But what gives me hope is our youth. The fact that we have faced many hardships and have come out on solid ground. For me personally, my faith, which I feel is so important, my family, my friends, uh, my community, and for everyone is going to be, you know, different for every one of us. But that's that's why I have the hope. Um, this this is this is a tough season, but we have experienced tough seasons in the past. And I think uh, if we stick together and we help each other and we show kindness and consideration and respect and love, we're going to get through this. In addition to her general optimism, Nancy also left us with some resources if you or someone you know is struggling with grief. There's SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. They've got a national helpline, and the number is 1-800-662-HELP. If grief starts to feel like depression or another mental health concern, reach out to your primary care doctor 
pediatrician or local hospital. They can refer you to the services you need. If you're in general crisis, reach out to emergency departments immediately or call 911. Next week's episode of Social Distance Assistance is also the last episode of Social Distance Assistance. We'll bring you stories of different kinds of recovery and the helpers who have creative ways of adapting to a future beyond the pandemic. If you've got a story of how you're helping your community think about a post-COVID world, tell us about it. Your story could be on our finale. Record a voice memo and email it to helpers at vpm.org. Or call us and leave a message at 804-404-2859. And that's our show for today. Social Distance Assistance is produced and engineered by June Highcastle Robinson-Jones, Kelly Jones, and Molly Bourne. It was created and edited by Nate Toby. Gavin Wright makes it all happen. Digital assistance from Angela Messino and the VPM News Team. Steve Humble is VPM's Chief Content Officer. Music for this week's episode came from Blue Dot Sessions. Music for Gabrielle Burbay's piece was by Evan Dibbs. Special thanks to the team at WPLN for sharing the John Prine Radio Wake with us. If you like what you heard today, help us out. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. Members are a fundamental part of VPM. Member support is especially vital right now. Through member support, we're able to provide timely and fact-based information, educational resources for our kids, and informative and entertaining content to keep minds active and engaged. Be a part of what makes VPM possible. Visit vpm.org slash donate to become a member today. VPM.